Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. My name is Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is my journey through the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. Each podcast, I review one episode of Rod Serling's iconic series and round out the show with a bonus review of a movie or show related to the week's main topic. But with Season 4 of Black Mirror recently premiering on Netflix, I'm covering each episode of the latest season of Charlie Brooker's Anthology sci-fi series in this bonus episode series. You can find more of Anthology at AnthologyPod.com. And for for a full episode archive, including my bonus episodes uh, covering Black Mirror's first three seasons, go to AnthologyPod.com slash archive. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AnthologyPod. Tweet me at OVAnthologyPod or send an email to Matt at ObsessiveViewer.com. And if you like what you heard and if you like what you hear and you want to support the podcast, uh, the easiest way to do that would be to go to iTunes and leave a rating and review. The more ratings and reviews I get, the easier it will be for my show to kind of stand out in the crowd of movie and TV genre podcasts. And finally, if you want to show your support with your wallet, you can do that by clicking the donate button on anthologypod.com or by visiting patreon.com slash obsessive viewer to set up recurring donations. Any donations made will help pay the fees to keep the podcast running and are greatly appreciated. So today on the podcast, I'll be discussing Archangel. It's the second episode of Black Mirror's fourth season that premiered on December 29th, 2017 on Netflix. But before I get to that, I do have... um one little piece of news and, and a little bit of feedback about last uh, the last bonus episode. So um, the news is that uh, there was a um, there was an article by I think it was Screen Rant that okay I'm sorry it was ScreenCrush.com and uh, basically they embedded a video where um, Charlie Brooker said um, actually I'm, I'll play a clip from the video here. So here's his quote about uh, the singular timeline. Theory, essentially. People used to say to me, are these all set in one, one shared universe? And I'd say, absolutely not. And something horrible happens in that bath in one of the other episodes. And now, for the first time, I think one of our stories explicitly starts referring to things that happened in other episodes. So, yeah, so that was his, that was his kind of blurb about it, just basically saying that, um, basically referencing that Black Museum does reference other episodes explicitly. But, um... Something that kind of stood out to me or kind of got under my skin is that, like, the headline is Black Mirror Boss Admits to Shared Universe, a new behind the scenes featurette. And I wrote this very long, um, uh, long winded soapbox response to that headline on the, um, anthology Facebook page where I shared the link. So basically, and kind of the long and short of it is that I think that it's, well, yes, it would be kind of, it's a fun thought exercise to go through and um, try to connect the dots and try to create like a timeline of Black Mirror, uh, of the Black Mirror shared universe or or what have you. But it gets so under my skin because it seems like it's it's destructive to the to the art itself. So what I mean by that is that us as a culture of just people watching TV and, and movies, we. Uh, it seems like there's there's a very vocal subset or there's there's a very big piece of the conversation about movies and TV that are that is going toward this speculation and and um rearranging ideas presented in in art to kind of fit this narrative or fit this fit this theory that someone has about it. And 
I'm kind of reaching the point where I'm, I think that that's just really detrimental to the art itself. So in this case, we have this, um, theory that, oh, Black Mirror all takes place in one shared universe. Okay, fine. You can go ahead and do that. They do sprinkle in Easter eggs here and there, which I'll talk more about in detail when I review this episode here, but I'll just say my piece on this here. But, um, like they sprinkle those Easter eggs and everything, but okay, if you spend X amount of time just trying to reconcile the, um, Easter eggs of each episode, that kind of can make it so that you're not really focusing as much as you probably should be on the actual content of the art, of the, the content of the episode and what it's saying. And when you're dealing with something as, um, so steeped in what can be so steeped in subtext as an anthology science fiction show can be that just really just gets under my skin that, that people are, it seems like a lot of, it seems like some people, there's a chance of people missing the point of the art and trying to connect it and everything. So that, that just bothers me that there's this kind of clickbait culture of like, Oh, the, the uh, Black Mirror boss confirms that it's a shared universe when he says that, Oh, Hey, we have an episode where that, references other episodes okay and it goes deeper than that like i I, in my in my post i talked about how like i i couldn't i literally could not could not enjoy the first season of westworld as much as i probably would have because the conversation around it all across the internet when i was watching it just week to week was completely obsessed with uh speculation and and theorizing and trying to figure out um, what's to come that it didn't seem like anyone was really paying attention to like each episode as it was airing. So like, I, I mean, Westworld, I mean, granted, I thought Westworld in general was kind of problematic, but I think I had, I just had that kind of, I couldn't enjoy the ride because I was so, I was kind of hearing all of this chatter about speculation of what's to come. And then also kind of one of the biggest examples of this, Type of thing is like in like Star Wars The Last Jedi came out and people were so there was a very vocal subset of fans of the Star Wars movies that were super upset that the movie didn't um pay off their two years of speculation after the the Force Awakens. Like I mean I guess yes, you have you have some issues with like your people are free to have issues with with uh, media and everything, but I just, like, I listened to, uh, not hundreds, but uh, probably close to a dozen episodes of different podcasts across the internet, just seeking out reviews of The Last, uh, The Last Jedi, to, just to get a sense of what the, what the conversation was around it. And a majority of the time I spent listening to it was just hearing people bicker about how their theories about everything that was planted in The Force Awakens were, upended in how that negatively impacted their enjoyment of the movie. So I don't know. I just think that there's a, there's a bigger conversation to be had about that. And it's, I just, I don't, I don't like that black mirror is kind of falling into that with kind of, uh, sites kind of harping on this shared universe kind of thing. When the exact conceit of black mirror <laughs> from its inception is that it is a episode, episodic, um, anthology science fiction show in the vein of the Twilight Zone, but with a focus on technology. Like, it is by design an anthology show that each episode takes place in its, in its own contained universe. And it's just, it just bothers me that people try to put it into boxes that 
it isn't in. And then, like, I'll probably talk about this in coming episodes, but I kind of feel like Charlie Brooker and the production of the show are kind of falling into that by adding all of these Easter eggs here and there, through, like, scattered throughout that are very overt um, and just kind of on the nose. But I'll get into that as I come, as I come to it in my reviews. But um, I had a couple of tweets come in about USS Callister. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read those real quick. Um, just today, actually, uh, Stephen, one of, one of my listeners, Stephen said, let's see. He said that, uh, he agreed about, uh, some of Nanette, some of Nanette's humor. And, uh, he thought that the episode bared, um, a bit of a resemblance to, uh, the episode Ship in a Bottle from Star Trek The Next Generation, which I haven't listened or I haven't watched. But um, I'm slowly, slowly getting, making my way through this, the Star Trek oeuvre. Um, he also said that uh, he thought that the implication was that Daly... Uh, by the way, I'm going to be spoiling USS Callister. So he thought that the implication was that Daly was brain dead at the end and that he can't exit the game. And uh, he his consciousness, essentially, is deleted along with the rest of it. Which I thought was a very interesting read on that. Um, I honestly, I don't know what's a darker ending. Um, his creation erasing his consciousness or his creation trapping him, erasing his consciousness and basically making him brain dead or him being trapped in it to kind of trapped in the game while still conscious while his body is withering and, 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 and dying in the, in the real world. Um, maybe they go hand in hand. I don't know. But, um, and then he also said that, uh, you got to think too, that eventually someone discovers infinity can trap a person in the game and it gets shut, shut down. So Callister Inc is ruined. Um, which I thought that was interesting too. Cause I just thought with all the talk about the spin, about a potential spinoff for the USS Callister cast, um, I think that would be interesting if they did like a limited series run where they go on adventures and it's, it's this fun kind of throwback to Star Trek. And then the final episode of that s- spinoff is just, we go back to the real world to daily being discovered in his apartment and then everything getting shut down in there. Everything just goes black and they're erased forever. Um, and so let's see. And then, uh, listener Robert, a Patreon subscriber, Robert, he said, loved hearing your thoughts and it was spot on. I also found some of the lines feeling off, but fantastic episode. Really hope there's a spinoff show. I don't know why Netflix wouldn't do it. They need more content. Would they call it USS Callister, Infinity or something else? Which I think would be really, I think if they actually did pull the trigger on that and they did it, I think it would be, it would probably be something completely different, uh, in terms of a name. I think that would be, uh, I, it's it's kind of a pipe dream, but man, it would be so cool if they did that. Um, and uh, and then he also went on to say that he thought that the the, the flat humor of the lines were uh, maybe just the lines themselves, um, and that they could have written something better, like especially the line where um, Nanette says that he stole her pussy, um, which I agree. And then finally. Uh, uh, listener Brent said, uh, that he listened to the episode and thoroughly enjoyed it. So thank you. And so, yeah. And also in, on that note, um, uh, Philip K. Dick's electric dreams was released on, uh, Amazon prime. So that is currently 
on Amazon Prime right now. Um, as soon as I de- get done with my Black Mirror bonus reviews, I'm going to jump into that and and do a bonus review series of that. So um, if you're wondering if I'm going to be reviewing that, that is to come. I'm hoping for maybe two weeks before I before I start that. Um, but that is a tight schedule, and I'm known for not sticking to a very clear schedule. So um, hopefully we can hopefully I can I can get through it and 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 dive into a bonus review series for that. So anyway, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and go into my review of Archangel. Um, I will be spoiling the entire episode, so um, definitely definitely. Uh, be warned here. So if you haven't watched Archangel yet, go and watch it on Netflix and then come back and listen. So the plot summary according to IMDb for Archangel is after nearly losing her daughter, a mother invests in a new technology that allows her to keep track of her, which, okay, the IMDb uh, synopsis synopses. And uh, I think also the Netflix synopsis um, that they have for each episode is really, really vague, and I, I love it for that, because I'm someone who, whenever, like, um, a new show comes out, a new show or movie, I, I try to go in as cold as possible without experiencing as much of the uh, um, marketing and everything as I can, and I just love that I don't get tripped up reading plot descriptions. So, anyway... Um, starring in this episode is Rosemary DeWitt as Marie. Uh, she was in, um, let's see, she was in Men, Women, and Children a few years ago, which I, I think is kind of an underrated movie. It's a little, it's a, it kind of ironically, it's about technology and how we communicate and how different, uh, I mean, how like men, women, and children communicate with the te- technology, particularly like texting and everything. Um, but it was pretty, pretty severely maligned the year that it came out. I mean, it had a really good cast, but it just didn't, it didn't connect with audiences the way that I expected it to. And when I watched it, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. She was also in La La Land and, uh, the, uh, and then she was also in Digging for Fire and Your Sister's Sister. So that's Rosemary DeWitt. And then co-starring as Sarah is Brenna Harding. And she has a lot of Australian TV credits to her name. She's an Australian actress, but nothing that jumped out, obviously, because I, I don't think any of them have kind of made the jump over to here, or uh, I, I haven't come across any of them. And then rounding out the cast as Trick is Owen Teague, who has a uh, a history with Netflix. He was in, uh, he had a recurring role in Bloodline. Um, actually, I think he was one of the series regulars in season three. And even season two, probably. But, um, yeah, I know him from Bloodline. He was also, uh, he also has some connections to Stephen King works. So he was, uh, Patrick Hockstetter in, uh, last year's, um, adaptation of It. And then he also played Jordan in the Stephen King adaptation of Cell, which Cell is one of those Stephen King novels I, I wasn't really crazy about. Like, it's probably my least favorite of the ones that I've read of his. I need to probably revisit it, but I never went, I never got around to seeing the movie because everyone really, really, really hated it. But I'm sure I'll review it in, on Tower Junkies, uh, eventually. But anyway, he was, he appeared in that. And then finally, he's also attached to be in the, uh, TV adaptation of Joe Hill's Lock and Key. Um, which Joe Hill is, is of course the son of Stephen King. So that's, uh, some pretty interesting or impressive, um, and then it's definitely an impressive resume for him since he's still really pretty young. 
Uh, writer for this episode was Charlie Brooker, and director was Jodie Foster, who, of course, she's very famous as an actress. She was in Taxi Driver, Silence, Silence of the Lambs, Contact. Um, she also she also is a director. She directed in 2016 the money or the movie Money Monster, which I never got a chance to see. Um, but the other one had, I think it was George Clooney and, oh, I can't remember his name, but it was about a televised kind of hostage situation. But anyway, that was Money Monster. And then she also directed two episodes of Orange is the New Black and one episode of House of Cards. So she has some history with, with Netflix productions. And then also she directed the movie The Beaver with, uh, Mel Gibson as someone with a beaver puppet. I never saw it, but it sounded kind of weird. So, yeah, so with the talent rundown complete, um, I'm going to go into my review. Now, my initial thoughts, I've watched this episode a couple times now. So the first time I saw it, I, I thought of it as kind of probably my least favorite of the season. Um, and I think part of that might be because I'm a 31-year-old who's single with no kids. And to be honest, I, I, I'm not someone who at the current time of my life right now, I, or I, I don't see myself ever wanting kids or ever having kids. So some of the parenting aspects of the story are maybe just a, a little bit lost on me there. I'm like, obviously I'm not sitting there thinking like, Oh, why she's freaking out? Cause her daughter's gone or whatever. But I kind of feel like it didn't resonate with me that much because I, it's, that's just not, it, parenting is not something that I'm, uh, is a part of my life at all. Um, and, uh, but most of all, I kind of came away from the, from my first viewing of it thinking that the story didn't track as well as it could. Um, and upon rewatching it, I kind of got a little bit of a, a better sense of it, or I got, I, I enjoyed it a little bit more the second time around, but that first time around, it was, it was kind of rough. So, um, so yeah, so I'll go into my review now. So it opens with Marie, um, giving birth to Sarah, which, I mean, that's a strong way to open a, open an episode that's going to be this, uh, kind of self-contained. Um, the way it's described, it, actually, in that behind the scenes video is that, uh, it's kind of this indie, indie film, indie short film. Um, and I do, I definitely get that. Um, I definitely get that feel to it. It's about this, it's an indie drama. So one of the first things that Marie says to the, uh, nurse or doctor who's, who's helping her is that uh, she said, I couldn't push anymore. And I kind of, kind of keyed into that when I heard it the second time, because, um, it kind I kind of get the feeling like that's, that's, uh, she's already in kind of protective, sheltering, overbearing parent in that moment, because I kind of feel like the subtext of that is that she was afraid of harming the kid, like harming the baby as, as, as she pushed, pushed, uh, pushed her out. Um, so I think that that is kind of an interesting thing, interesting thing to kind of bring us into the, um, into the episode. And then right from the outset, the first moment of Sarah's life, Marie fears that she's a stillborn baby because she doesn't hear, she doesn't hear the, she doesn't hear, uh, uh, she doesn't hear Sarah crying and the doctors don't immediately say that she's okay or anything. It takes a, it takes a beat. And like in that moment, like, I mean, I could feel like I could understand, I could absolutely understand that fear. Um, and I like that that's our introduction to it. Like we're very quickly into the dynamic of, of how this episode is going to go and, and the way that this dynamic is going to function throughout the, throughout the course of the episode. So 
that's kind of a cold open. We go in, we get back to Marie and Sarah. Now Sarah is about three years old and Marie is a single mom living with her father and, and she's raising Sarah on her own. And I kind of like that dynamic. Um, her and her father, I didn't put, I didn't, I didn't look up who the, who act, who, uh, the actor who played the played her father, but um, I just really like that dynamic. They seem very close, and it's very the chemistry of of Marie and her father is, is really feels very genuine. I would say, and one of the first scenes we get of Marie and Sarah is Marie taking Sarah to the park, and then it the episode just really displays the very real fear of losing her in the park. Um, and I like the way that it was handled because Marie was only talking to the other mom for just a very brief moment. Um, and then the way that, um, is depicted after that is that she's, you know, screaming, screaming for Sarah and trying to find her. And it's like, it's like the camera's shaking very, very quickly. And then she's finally like found, which I thought it was kind of a weird read. Um, the line, this is nitpicking. I, the, and I, it didn't detract from the episode, but, um, the guy who found Sarah, he says, says like, she said she was, she said she was following a cat. She said she was following a cat. Like he repeats it. And it's kind of weird. It's like, he's, it's like, he's saying, saying something like it's, I don't know. It's like he doesn't understand what a cat is. I, I just, I just think that read on it was kind of weird. But one of the things that, um, I think someone on the Black Mirror subreddit posted was a screenshot of the, uh, couple after, after they bring Sarah back to Marie. And there's a shot that's kind of, um, of Marie holding Sarah. And then it looks like, the man who found her and, and a woman are standing right in front of front of her, and it's almost like they're taking a. I I didn't really catch if they were if they had their phones out, but it looked like they were taking a picture of her, um, which I thought that was interesting. Kind of the, just this, if that is the case, and if that was the intention, it kind of seems like this kind of meta commentary on how we have to document everything, and this uh, like this this man is just taking a picture of this woman and her child. Presumably, like you can kind of extrapolate that to think that, oh, he's posting on Facebook that, oh, I helped this woman find her kid. Um, if you're a cynic, you could, you could view it that way. Um, but yeah, so, and that's all the setup that we need for why, uh, Marie is gonna have this archangel implant put into Sarah. And that's, that's all we need. It's, it's very fluid, very organic to have us, uh, to bring us into that the black mirror aspect of the episode. Um, so the next scene is Marie with Sarah at the archangel office. And I just want to kind of sit here and comment that, uh, or stop here and comment that the archangel office, like the design of it is very clean and it feels like it's, it feels like a genuine like brand and company, like the, the branding of archangel on the walls and the, the, screens and in the focus group of the kids and everything as they're walking through the office. Like it's a very clean design for a set. And I, I kind of, I really appreciate that they went through the trouble of, of setting that up um, for what accounts for maybe 30 seconds of a shot. So we're now set. So we're now introduced to the archangel technology and they implant Sarah with the, uh, with the archangel system and then we get the scene where the archangel rep is walking Murray through the technology on the tablet. And again, I just really love the detail on that. Like 
I love the way that the tech is displayed on the tablet because I mean this is a show that's that's kind of showing this dark future of humanity as we kind of become subser- subservient toward technology or we come we become way too dependent on technology. So of course they're going to display this very invasive and uh morally questionable technology in a very clean way that like showing us the location vitals and and the uh, point of view of Sarah, like showing us the audience, like how how that is viewed through the tablet. That's a great way to get us to buy into the technology, because I mean the way like we it's 2018 and we as a culture every day we are met playing with screens. We have these malfunctioning phones that that will freak out every now and then if we're, you know, conveniently close to our contract end date with our carriers. That's what I'm, uh, my conspiracy theory is telling me, but, um, we have such a, we have such a a read on how this technology, this type of technology, it's a very basic, like tablet type of technology works and just seeing just such a clean representation of it and such a vivid depiction of these different options that uh, Marie now has to monitor her kid is very, very fascinating um, to me. And as a, as a brief addendum, I would absolutely want this for my cat. I think that would be pretty cool since I don't have kids or anything, but um, I think that would be pretty interesting to see pizza rolls, vitals and um, uh, her point of view on things. So anyway, um, also, yeah, if you, if you're, a first time listener, my cat's name is Pizza Roll. She's the official ba- mascot of Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Anyway, uh, but the most in, the most disturbing part of the tech and the moment where the technology goes from, oh, this could seem like a pretty cool, like, consumer gadget, um, in the future that I could see happening, maybe not as, you know, cleanly and detailed as, as, as possible, um, but in a way, like, you can relate to it and see it. Um, but it takes a turn for the, turns toward it takes a turn toward the disturbing when it shows the filter function so first of all it's fast and endlessly fascinating to me to think of what kind of negative impact something like that would have on a person who has this archangel uh implants in their mind throughout their entire life essentially um like i mean the image um so, so the way the filter works is that the image and audio of anything that's deemed, um, not necessarily obscene or violent is scrambled and the audio is garbled and everything. So they never have to actually see it, which that is like, that is such a fascinating and disturbing thing because you're shielding a human being from being able to see the outside world. Like, like this type of technology could have different applications for, other things like I could see an episode where, um, where where uh, someone is um, basically implanted with the archangel technology, and then the filter is instead of scrambling things and garbling the audio, audio and everything, is they're ch- literally changing what they see so to fit any any type of agenda. That would be a very interesting kind of um, episode where they kind of. Like I could see some like corporate espionage thing or, or political kind of thing, um, where they just basically change someone's perspective, someone in power's perspectives to, to kind of manipulate them into doing what they want. So anyway, that's, that's a small tangent, but, um, 
on one hand, it just, it, I would wonder like what, uh, what, what impact would that have on a person who's, who would never see blood or never ever see anything violent or obscene? Like what kind of person would that, that human being become in the real world? Um, also I kind of wonder, like you would think that, I mean, the, the image being scrambled and the audio being kind of garbled and everything, I would think that that would, that would be pretty creepy and terrifying to a kid anyway. So instead of, like, instead of Sarah seeing, like, having a nightmare about the dog, um, like, breaking out, like, jumping the fence and chasing her, I could see her having a nightmare of, you know, this garbled mass of blurry vision coming after her. Um, so I think that that's kind of, I don't know, that, that's, that was just my thought during that scene. But, um, Okay, so we get to the first, well, one of the first, like, big Easter eggs for this episode. And I already, I already went on a tangent about, um, connecting the universe and everything, but, um, I had a real problem with this. So the way that they give, the example that they give for the filter is actual footage from Men Against Fire. Like the episode from season three, Men Against Fire. It shows Raymond shooting, um, I think shooting at the roach or, um, I don't know, but it's, it's actual footage from that episode. And I really don't like that. Um, like I get that black mirror wants to have its Easter eggs and I can absolutely respect that. But to actually show the footage from an episode in another episode is just a little too on the nose for me. Like given the, given the excess of Easter eggs in black museum later this season, like, (sighs) Are we meant to take this as meaning that the Black Mirror universe that according to Screen Crush or Screen Rant or whichever side I referenced, but since Charlie Brooker has quote unquote confirmed that it's a, that it's a shared universe, like are we meant to take that as Men Against Fire is a work of fiction within the, within the greater Black Mirror universe if it is a singular timeline? And like that, that's what I thought. Like that's what I was thinking when I saw that. Um, First, first, I didn't like that they just showed a clip from another episode. I thought that, that was just too on the nose. But the second one was, does this mean that men, the entirety of Men Against Fire is a work of fiction that people in the Black Mirror universe can, you know, take and like, like, like view? And these just are thoughts that I don't want to have while watching the show. Like, I don't care if men against fire is a work of fiction. I don't like, I don't want to be distracted by the episode by an episode that I'm watching of black mirror with the memory of another episode or to make a comparison to another episode. Like, like it's just, it's just detracts from my viewing of it. Um, like you can have your Easter eggs and everything. Like you can say like, Oh, um, uh, uh, Archangel is, um, an offshoot of the TCKR technology. Um, not that it's ever said in this episode, but you could have that and that's fine. That's perfectly fine. That's a reference to, that's a reference to technology that's been established in another episode. That's fine. But to actually show a clip from another episode, it just, it just did not sit well with me and it just made me, it took me, took me out of the episode and made me wonder things that I didn't, didn't need to wonder about. Um, it just, it, it really bothered me. And I feel like it's part, part of that is just that, I guess seasons one and two, when it was on, um, channel four in the UK, like it was a, it was a pretty small show and you had, and then, and then you had the Christmas special with, um, 
Rafe Spall and and John Hamm that had like little bits and pieces here. Like I think they had the uh, the um, oh uh, White Bear logo in it and kind of little things that connected to it. But then I feel like it kind of. Uh, it kind of became this bigger thing. Black Mirror became this bigger thing. And then Netflix bought it to bring it to Netflix. And then we get season three is, it has some Easter eggs. And then I feel like Reddit and like the internet has kind of made influence the production to include more Easter eggs as a, as a fun little aside to the people viewing it. And I think that that's just, I don't know. It's kind of a shame. I just wanted to go back to being kind of a subtle, kind of nod at other episodes and, and everything. I don't need it to be this big interconnected thing. And I definitely don't need clips from other episodes being played in an episode. It just, it just seems kind of, it just detracts from it. I don't know. But anyway, tangent over. Um, so after Sarah has been implanted with the archangel, we get this very kind of, kind of sweet hide and seek scene where Marie is watching Sarah's point of view from inside a, uh, from her being, from her hiding inside of a closet. So she's watching as her daughter is wa- like running through the house asking her grandfather where her mother is and everything. And what I found kind of fascinating about this scene, and maybe I'm reading into it a little bit, but I like that it's Marie becomes kind of very possessive of Sarah and very obsessed with, with monitoring her with this technology. And the kind of parallel that I drew from the scene of her in the closet was that it's almost like she's kind of, it's the same, it's the same kind of thing of, as, as if Marie were just like really, uh, um, obsessed with watching a TV show or watching TV. It's like kind of this, kind of this thing that, I mean, I've built, (laughs) I mean, I've built my, the last four, four and a half, almost five years of my life around, you know, commenting on stuff that I watch and everything specifically because I am one of those people that is obsessed with watching stuff and watching screens. Um, that was like the tagline of, of obsessive viewer when I first started was that commentary about the stuff we watch on all, all, all of our screens. But anyway, um, I think that this scene with Marie in the closet, just staring at the tablet is kind of a, a fun, like meta commentary on how we're so, possessed by watching TV and and watching screens without like actually living our life, like living in the moment or, or living in the real world. Um, but maybe I'm reading into it, but anyway, that, that's the, um, that's the connection that I made. And then after that, we get the introduction of, well, I guess an introduction, the first of two scenes with the biker guy that, um, Murray, Murray is a physical therapist for that is going to be called back later in the episode. And then we get, uh, her father's heart attack. Um, so this, this scene was kind of, uh, sad to me or sad and a little, a a little chilling as well, just because the idea that Sarah is, um, she can't like, she's three years old. She can't like help him or anything. But, um, also the fact that it, that it filtered the image, like just the, like what, what's the other, the, the flip side of that is that if she had, if, if they hadn't gotten, uh, gotten him to the hospital or hadn't gotten medical assistance to him, say for sake of argument that he were to die in that moment, then Sarah, maybe, well, maybe, maybe if she was older, um, she would have, like, she would have that memory of watching her grandfather die, 
but the actual memory would be just switching over to a blurry thing. Like that's, that's just kind of, uh, kind of crazy that that's like this technology is having that effect on, on her view of the world. And it's, it's, I mean, it's a parental, parental filter for the entire world. And that's it. That's what makes it so wrong (laughs) in the most black mirror way. Um, but he was fine. So that's, that's more of a thought experiment on my part, but, um, he's alive and he's alive and fine and everything. So after this, and this is one of my, one of the things I really enjoyed about this episode is that it is a very long time, time span. So we get this time lapse moment in, on the swing where Sarah is on the swing and then like each, each time she comes into frame, it's like a slightly older Sarah until she's, um, a bit older. I don't know how old she's supposed to be in this second, uh, kind of act of the episode. I want to say like 10 or 11 maybe, but uh, like our introduction is like the grandfather has died. Um, recently cause it's, it's a freshly, uh, freshly, uh, placed grave. Um, which by the way, I kind of skipped over this cause I didn't put it in my notes, but there's a scene where after they implant her with the archangel where, uh, Marie and her father are talking and he's kind of saying that like, he's kind of voicing his concern saying that, uh, he makes mention that he's like, I'm 2000 years old and time was, we would just open the door and let them run around and be themselves. Um, and it's a nice like back and forth between them, but I kind of want to mention that <laughs> I thought it was funny because I vividly, I, like I actually remember during the, uh, 12 days of black mirror thing, um, that Netflix was doing or, or the, that they were doing on Facebook where they were promoting each episode individually with a poster one day and then the, then, a uh, um, a, uh, pre or, um, a trailer the next day for each episode. Like I remember that there was, um, that line was in the trailer and like, I remember reading like a couple comments where people were like, wow, so people live to be 2000 years old in black mirror. It's like, no, 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 that it was just a, just an kind of figure, figure of speech. He was being sarcastic. Um, so I kind of, I kind of thought that was funny, but anyway, this next iteration of Sarah's has her in, uh, elementary school. And one of the things that I kind of wish was that it, I wish that there would have been, a way, maybe not a way, but I kind of wish that there would, I wish that there was more time that they could have allocated to, um, what her, what her classmates think of her. Um, there's that scene where I think it's trick, uh, refers to her as a chip head, which I thought was kind of silly, but kids are, kids are dumb. So it fits. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I kind of wish that it would have, uh, been able to go more into this kind of social aspect of, of her as a kid, like kind of dealing with being different from other kids because her, because her mother is so scare, scarily overbearing. Um, but that's fine. So we get the scene where, uh, trick is telling him, telling her in detail about this like terrible video that he, that he was showing to the other kids. And what I thought was interesting was like, it doesn't just, um, filter images, um, or anything like he's just describing it. And it, uh, and it, and it filters it for, for, which I thought for a second, like early on, I was thinking like, um, 
like who like is there like someone that's like monitoring her or something like how do they how does the technology discern what's what's violent and filter worthy and and what's not and then i kind of thought like well maybe it's just a part of the program is that um when when her heart rate and uh different like um I guess physiological and biological things happen within her. That's when activates the filter or something. I'm sure that there's some, that that's a good way to kind of explain it away. But anyway, um, then we get this, this scene after she goes home, um, presumably that night where she cuts herself with a pencil. And in that moment, um, I was really fascinated with that scene, by the way, because it's her trying to, experience something that she's she can't experience like she hasn't been able to experience you know anything offensive or or violent or anything so she's try she's kind of experimenting with it by cutting herself and it's it's really interesting because it's not like out of self-harm it's not like it's not like she's depressed and wants to feel pain it's just it's just plain curiosity and i think that that's a really telling thing about the culture of this of this society in this episode of, of Black Mirror is that they, like the conceit is that she's shielding Sarah from terrible things, but it makes her more curious. Um, and in that moment, I was really hoping that the episode would become more like, more, more about like the birth of like a deranged murderer. Like I, I was kind of hoping that that was the route that they were going to take with Sarah. Um, kind of like, a, uh, like if you, if you've seen the movie, we need to talk about Kevin. Um, I kind of wish that it would have gone that route. Um, like, uh, we need to talk about Kevin Black Mirror style. Um, which by the way, if you haven't seen, we need to talk about Kevin. It is a super disturbing and depressing movie and I can't recommend it enough. It's, it's very well done. Um, so we, so Marie takes Sarah to a psychologist, psychiatrist, and then we get a little bit more backstory about Archangel in that it never launched officially and it was actually banned in Europe. And at that, at the time of that scene, it was going to be banned by the banned in the U S by the fall. And that's an important, um, kind of breadcrumb to keep in mind for later, but we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to it. Um, so we get Sarah's kind of first day without Archangel because Marie has made the, the decision to, um, let her be free without Archangel for, for a while. Um, just so she can kind of, kind of have a different experience, I guess. And like, that's a very interesting concept. And, um, it, I found it fascinating because it's literally the first time that she's seeing the world for what it is without any restrictions or anything. And I thought that that alone is just a very interesting kind of concept. I, it would have been kind of cool. Like I could see, I could see someone taking this concept and making like a, a a short film where it just shows like that really dives into her um, perspective of, of the world and like what it would be like to see the world with fresh eyes for the, for the first time when you've been a conscious person for all like over a decade probably. But, um, yeah, so so she goes to school and she sees Trick with this bloody lip and um you know, I could kind of I could kind of see that as kind of the genesis of her um attraction to him or maybe not not like physical like attraction but like what what's she's drawn to him because he is literally the first 
the first sight she has of blood is by seeing his his bloody lip, and I could see that like making her more interested in him as a person to to interact with, and then. And then, of course, immediately after that, he shows her all of the all of these violent and sexual images, like everything that he can. Um, but I think that 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 moment where she sees him with the bloody lip before all of that is that's kind of the the kind of hook that makes her drawn to him um, throughout more time, like throughout more of her life, essentially. And then so after that, we get the second time lapse, which is showing her walking past the dog. And I like that a lot. It kind of gradually showing how unaffected by the dog she is. And then it kind of, um, leads to a point where she's like, she feeds him a, tr- feeds the dog a treat when she passes by it. And, uh, when we have 15 year old Sarah, which, okay. Now I'm never one to harp on the age of actors playing kids, like in TV and movies. Like it never bothers me, but this time it, like she's clearly around 20 years old when, when, uh, when filming this. And it's just, it's, it's, it was kind of surprising when later in the episode, when it's revealed that she's 15, cause I was like, she could have easily been like 18, uh, 17 or 18 or she could have been playing 17 or 18, but the actress is clearly like, if not 20, then like early twenties. Um, but the other side of that is that I, I like that the, that the wardrobe for 15 year old Sarah, I, I like that the wardrobe is, has her dressed very conservatively. Like she's got a long skirt and just very much like, uh, um, kind of not restrictive clothing, but like, like conservative clothing. Like she seems like she kind of walked out of a, of a, of a church in the 1900s. Um, and I like that because it matches her home life kind of to a T in, in the shield. It says a lot about the shielding that Marie has done. And it's just like, she's, you kind of get the impression that Marie has without, without the archangel technology, Marie has still kind of had an imprint on her as a person, um, uh, throughout this, gr- the growth of her, you know, you know, young adulthood. And the downside of that as in terms of just, um, in terms of the uh, viewer experience is that um, I feel like that that wardrobe while effective for the character and everything kind of is what makes her look closer to the actress's real age, which I, th- I looked it up and it, according to Wikipedia, so grain of salt, I think she's like 21. And then we get the introduction of trick as a teenager. We get uh, the Owen Teague iteration of trick essentially. And um, he's, kind of become this drug dealer or drug delivery person. Um, and you know, I mean, that's fine. I don't think that that's making any statements about like, Oh, he is, he was a kind of a deranged little kid or this curious little kid about violence and sex and everything. So he's turned into this terrible young adult because there's, there's some more interesting things, um, that come into play with that character later. But, um, I think that he was just a normal kid who not, maybe not normal kid, but, uh, I don't think that there was making any statements about him growing up to, to be this drug dealing kind of bad influence, sort of speak. Um, so we get, um, Sarah, uh, lying to Marie to go hang out with trick and his friends by the lake and this is an interesting 
interesting kind of dichotomy in this episode is that uh, when Sarah left to go to the lake, Marie made plans with the biker guy that she had was a physical therapist for years ago. And it's hinted at that it's, it's a regular thing. Um, but it's been years, presumably that they've been kind of hooking up. And I think that it says something about Marie because, um, it's clear like he's not married or at least he's not wearing a ring and clearly she's not like, they're not in like a relationship. It's just kind of this kind of booty call thing every now and then. And it says something about Marie because it feels, it seems like she's living her life solely for Sarah and she's not letting herself have any relationships for herself or be her own individual. Like she just hooks up with this guy every now and then, um, when she gets a chance, uh, when Sarah's not around and it's, but it's not like she's not like someone who, um, lets herself have like an emotional relationship with someone presumably because she's busy raising Sarah and everything. And it's kind of, I don't know. It's kind of something that's somewhat sad for Marie, but also frustrating. Like, like you, she doesn't need to do that. Like it seems kind of, uh, kind of overboard, which is kind of the point of her characters that she's kind of an overbearing parent. Um, and so she's kind of checks on Sarah and gets the, uh, immediately <laughs> learns that Sarah lied to her. So she's, like that scene where she's calling every everyone to try to find out where Sarah is like, that's a good organic way to get her to bring up the Archangel thing again. And when she first boots up Archangel, the tablet, and she sees that Sarah's by a lake. Um, I don't know if this is the intention or not, but I kind of imagined like it would be terrifying. Um, like if I were in, in her position, I'd be worried that, you know, that Sarah was being murdered and about to be dumped in the water. Like that's the kind of connection that I made when showing the location right next to a body of water. When you have no idea where she is or, or what she's actually doing. Like I, I could see someone's mind jumping to that. And then you get the sight stream, um, that shows Sarah having sex with trick and like the way that that shatters Marie's world is, I wouldn't say it's comical, but it's, it's really, like you can tell, like you, you, you're right there with Marie. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't like feel like, Oh, I, let's see. I, I didn't side with Marie there. Like I didn't think like, Oh, like that's a, that's horrible. I feel so bad for her. But I like, I felt bad that like at her, like I don't condone Marie's overbearing behavior or anything, but I felt sympathy for the character because clearly like that character, like that, completely shattered her, her view of her child and, uh, her entire world of, of parenthood, um, toward her like that, that just, that was, that was, uh, that was a really awkward thing and, and very, uh, hard to, hard to watch. Like I felt, I felt a lot of sympathy for Marie in that moment. And, uh, then we get a scene with, with Sarah and Trick after they've had sex and it's revealed that that was her first time. And, it says so much about her kind of sheltered upbringing and the way that Marie has kind of, um, hovered around her throughout her life. Um, because like trick points out that she doesn't need to be this aggressive, like porn star person with him. Like that's not how it works in the real world. So 
it just I feel like it says so much about Sarah is that her her she doesn't have a healthy view of the world because Marie doesn't let her have a view of the world. Even with even without Archangel, you can kind of tell by the way that she's dressed and the way that everything is like she's she's very conservatively dressed and everything. Um, that Marie still has this this kind of influence over her to kind of shield her from from the real world. So obviously they don't have this open dialogue. I, I wouldn't think that Sarah and Marie would have this open dialogue about about sex or anything. They wouldn't have the talk where they you know like it's not a normal thing for. Her. So she has to find. Um, she just assumes that like porn is what sex is like. Um, and I just thought that that was a really interesting kind of uh character building for for Sarah and for Marie by extension. And then you get more of of Marie or not Marie but of Sarah um wanting to experiment and like see this kind of sow her sow her oats essentially. Like she wants to try coke, she wants to experiment with coke. Um and it's like she pushes trick into um in, in, into like letting her do like a, a line of coke just to see what it's like. Like she pushed him into it, and like he he didn't want her to do it. Like it's not like a thing where he was trying to. Um, it wasn't like a thing where he was trying to be controlling over her or anything. It was just like he did. He just didn't want her to want her to do it. Um, and you can kind of tell. Like Trick seems like he kind of actually. I don't know. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say that he actually like really cares for her. Because I mean, he could. But it just seems like he's he's a lot more level headed than than you would think up at up until this point. Like he he knows what's kind of good and bad, and he he knows the difference between right and wrong. He's just kind of um, <laughs> in certain aspects of his life, he just doesn't um, exercise it, <laughs> or he doesn't like um, follow like follow that guideline of right and wrong but he is aware of what's right and what's wrong and what's right for her is to maybe don't do cocaine <laughs> um but i and i love that because at this point marie is back to tracking her on on archangel and her perspective marie's perspective of it even though even though sarah is the one that pushed for trick to let her do some coke um, from marie's perspective when she loads up archangel it makes her look like obviously that trick is a bad influence and that he's forcing her to do it. And it really kind of makes you, I don't know if I would say it makes you hate Marie a little bit, but it's just like, it's kind of frustrating that like, of course, like this is what's annoying to me about Marie. And it's, it's what's effective about her characterization in this episode is that she's so, she's so um, concerned with Sarah's upbringing and, and with, with Sarah's view of the world and everything that, in her wildest imagination, she couldn't see Sarah wanting to try Coke. She couldn't see Sarah going along with, with having sex with Trick, you know, willingly or, or, um, consensually. Um, not that, not that Marie thought that Trick raped her or anything, but it's she, from her perspective, Trick is just a bad influence on her daughter. Even though a lot of it is, is her daughter trying to, um, experiment and, and get out of this, um, kind of the sheltered world that she lives in. And another kind of Easter egg is that when Marie is going to kind of going through the stream on Archangel to try to find trick, um, so that she can 
figure out who he is. Um, it's the same kind of user interface as uh, what was in um, the entire history of you, which again, love that. Like, even though, even though I've talked, I talked a little bit last week about how, um, how kind of bothersome it is that they use a lot of the same technology spread across different episodes. Um, I kind of like seeing that here, like that same interface um, being used from, from the entire history of you because it's the same type of technology. I just, I kind of like that. It kind of feels like, it, it feels like it's normal within, within the story and everything. Um, so Marine confronts Owen, not Owen, uh, Owen Teague. Uh, he, she confronts Trick at his, his place of business where, where he works. And I, first of all, I really like Owen Teague's performance in that scene because he is like, he plays terrified like really well, but kind of understated a little bit. So he's not like, he's not like flipping out or anything, but he's like, he's in shock that Marie still has the system. Like she, he says, you've still got that system. And he says it in a tone that's like, you've still got that system. Like, like it kind of has the subtext to it. Like he's thinking that, wow, she's like a monster. And, and you kind of can, you can kind of uh, extrapolate from that that you know maybe society itself or the world in which this this story takes place doesn't necessarily um, like if it was banned in Europe and presumably at this point it's been banned in the U.S. for a long time. Um, you could kind of see it as as being um, an indication like that line. You've still got that system in a shocked tone. Um, you could kind of see that as being this view like the way the way that society in this episode views the archangel technology is probably in a negative very very negative connotation um and yeah so so i i but i really liked um owen teague's performance here because he obviously he doesn't want to go to jail and uh or anything so he's like he like looks like his he's very shaken by marie's confrontation with him and then after that, we get kind of the with like him withdrawing from from Sarah and and leaving her alone, and then Sarah's just completely heartbroken over it. And you see Marie like looking at like watching Sarah's uh point of her sight stream as she's trying to text Trick, and he's not responding or anything. Um, and and then you get like the confrontation with um Sarah like finding Trick and and. Uh, confronting him and he's kind of, I mean, he's, he's a complete dick to her, but I mean, it's, it's warranted because, um, like it tracks with his, with his, uh, with his, with his character traits because he doesn't want to go to prison or anything or he doesn't want to get in trouble legally from Marie. And it's kind of, it's kind of sad because you can kind of, you would kind of think that she, that, you know, he would, uh, Maybe he does have like feelings for Sarah. I don't know how old he's supposed to be in this. Cause if she's 15 and like she, like Murray makes a huge point that it's like he's 15, she's 15. I don't know if he's supposed to be like in his twenties. I don't know if that's the kind of thing that we're going for here, but I, I just kind of took it to mean that he was about 17 or 18. Um, but either way, either way, they like they're, uh, they're peers and it kind of seems like Murray controlling, um, controlling things is, is kind of tearing them apart before, you know, they would have naturally come apart if, if they would have at all. And then this next sequence we get is the, the kind of pregnancy and, and, uh, Marie's emergency contraception, um, thing. Um, <laughs> that, like, I kind of wish that 
there was more time spent on, on this aspect of the Marie and Sarah dynamic. Um, because it's kind of, it's kind of, we're almost to like the climax of the episode and we get this very, um, terrible act that Marie does without, you know, talking to her child. And that's kind of what it all comes down to is Marie doesn't talk to her child. She just controls her. And that's kind of a, it's, it's what makes the episode so dark and, and, uh, effective really. But I kind of wish that the, the emergency contraception would have been kind of done earlier and, and that, uh, it would have been something that would have been hanging over, uh, hanging over Marie's head and over the relationship with Marie and Sarah a little bit more. And like, I kind of wish that it would have lingered a little longer, but it was still effective in its own right. Like, first of all, Marie is a freaking monster to do this. Like, I mean, it's like the level of control that she is exercising over her daughter. Like you could, you could see, like you can understand the logic that she goes through. Like, like, yeah, I'm just going to, you know, get this, uh, get this pregnancy resolved really quickly. And, uh, cause like she, cause she knows best what's, what's best for her daughter and everything. And it's just like, what makes it monstrous is that there's no conversation. There's nothing that's like, there's no, there's no communication within this family. Marie is just this controlling person who, instead of talking to her daughter, like instead of talking to her daughter about things like sex or, or things in the real world, she has this filter on in her planted into her daughter's mind. So she doesn't have to do that. And making the completely executive decision where, where she finds out that her daughter's pregnant before her daughter even has any conscious knowledge of the pregnancy. Um, Marie goes and drugs her so that she, you know, that the pregnancy is, uh, is terminated. Like that is just monstrous behavior because it's taking away Sarah's agency, her, her ability to make rational decisions within her own life. And that's, that's what's terrifying about this, about this episode and about Marie as a character. And I, I just wish that there was more to it. Like there was more time spent in the aftermath of that, but that's a small quibble. Cause I, I thought that that was a really effective, um, plot point to, to, for the plot to go to. And so Sarah kind of, discovers it, it's kind of a kind of a all in um not all in one fell swoop but it's this um it's this uh this avalanche of knowledge essentially for sarah like she feels sick so she goes to the um nurse's station and she's told like she's you know it's that you're not feeling well because you you know turn your pregnancy's done uh, you were pregnant and, you know, you got rid of it and she's completely in the dark. She has no idea or anything. And so she suspects Marie and she digs through the trash to find it. And like that, and then, and then she goes and finds the archangel tablet, like all of that, that's like all a lot to take in for Sarah as a character. Um, and the fact that she's packing her bag to run away, it like tracks well for the character, but I feel like the, the violent outburst she has toward Marie when, uh, when Marie, uh, comes home, I, I kind of feel like that's just a little bit unearned. Um, like I kind of imagine that the show was trying to say that by sheltering Sarah from violence for so long, she doesn't have a grasp of the destruction that different levels of violence can do. Like, I guess that that could be it. Like kind of a thing where it's like she's never been a violent person, so she doesn't know and she's been sheltered from violence. So she doesn't know how much violence can 
do how much damage. Like that could be that. I mean, maybe I don't know if that's what is being stated here. If I'm just grasping at straws, but um, I could see that being a thing because that's and and I could see that being why the attack on Murray is so unflinchingly brutal, even with the filter on. Like it's like she's crushing her mother's face with the tablet and it's like even if she can't see the blood she has to know how much like she can feel the force of it while she's bring pulling like bringing it down it's a very kind of um animal attack on her um but i just don't know if i buy into the idea that sarah would lash out um so far as to nearly murder her mother like i like it was a shock to me that she wasn't dead <laughs> like i really thought that that this was the end of the episode that she just murdered her mother with the tablet that she used to control her. And like, if that was the end of the episode, I would have been, I would have been really disappointed because that I, I don't, I don't think that would have been earned as much, but, um, but it just seems like, it seems like just a really overly brutal thing. Um, but given all the information that Sarah just got, like, I could kind of see, like, I, I warmed up to it a little bit on my second viewing. Um, and also the filter being on, like, even though, you know, she can still feel it and everything, she doesn't actually see it. So maybe that's not what, maybe that's what didn't stop her. But the actual ending of the episode is, is really messed up in its own right, though. Um, because Sarah leaves after, like, like throwing, like, tosses the tablet aside, grabs her bag and leaves. And I kind of imagine that Sarah believes that she murdered her mother. Like, Sarah doesn't have the, um, she doesn't know that, like, she left before Marie got up. So, you know, you would think that Sarah thinks that she just murdered her mother. And now that the tablet is destroyed and Archangel is banned and presumably no longer exists, Marie, like, when she gets up and, and gets it and she goes after trying to find Sarah, like it's kind of, it's kind of really messed up because now she literally has truly no way to find Sarah and get her back. Um, at least not easily, but it's just, it's just a really kind of, uh, kind of messed up ending. And the thing that I was kind of left with, um, at the end of the episode was, um, I guess the real question of it is whether you view it as Marie losing her daughter or Sarah escaping from an an emotionally abusive home life. Like there are two kind of perspectives that are pretty well, well um, drawn throughout the entire episode. It's kind of interesting to think like, where do you land in that, in, in that perspective, in your perspective of it, in your read of the ending? Like, do you think that Sarah is this, is this victim of a traumatic home life that's, that's based all on emotional manipulation and abuse to the point where, you know, her mother is drugging her to keep her from, you know, keep, to keep her from even knowing that she was, was pregnant. And she is this controlling person who is, who's dipping her hand in all of the, in like her, in, in Sarah's personal relationships and everything. Or do you see it as Marie losing her, losing the one thing that she's, that she's lived her entire life or the last 15 years of her life for and having no way of, of easily getting her back? Um, or even being in a position to ha make amends with Sarah if she were to find her, like, where do you land in that? Like, do you, do you side with which read do you take of the, of the episode? But, um, yeah, so I, I just thought that was kind of a fascinating kind of viewpoint for it. But another, like kind of the last thing about the actual episode is, uh, it ends with like, as you cut to credits, it's, um, 
the pretender song um i'm a mother plays over the end credits which i kind of feel like that's the show trying to replicate that just absolutely perfect uh needle drop in uh san junipero of heaven is a place on earth um but like spoiler for the rest of the season i i they don't top that like they like they i don't think the show will ever top the perfect the perfect union of that song with san junipero um they can try with like i'm a mother or or um uh the other i think there's like one or two other episodes or yeah black museum has a similar thing but um but i don't think they'll ever top uh san junipero's uh song over the end credits thing um so yeah so i that i think i kind of talked out archangel quite a bit honestly um after i rewatched the episode for this podcast and made my notes i kind of felt like i was warming up to the episode quite a bit because like i said i was kind of lukewarm on it when i first saw it um in even like talking it out here on this podcast i'm i'm actually i actually enjoyed it a little bit more um in retrospect i i could see a lot more like i Obviously, I I was a uh, I'm warming up to it quite a bit. Um, it's probably still at the bottom of my rankings though for the season. Um, I'll do like I'll reevaluate that after um, after I finish the season, obviously, or finish this review series. But I mean, it's it's I definitely have a very very much a new um, appreciation for for this episode, and I I feel like I I feel like I got it a little bit more. Um, so we'll see how I feel at the end of, at the end of this review series, but yeah, that'll do it for my review of Archangel. Um, if you like what you've heard and, uh, if you like what you've heard, once again, please make sure to go ahead and, and, uh, leave a rating and review on iTunes. It would help me out a ton. And also if you, also if you've liked what you've heard, um, sorry, I, I read the, the paragraph wrong. Um, make sure you check out my other podcasting. Uh, you can find that at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcast. I have two other podcasts. Obsessive Viewer, a basic uh, movie and TV podcast that goes mostly weekly, kind of broad topics and everything. It's a lot of fun. And then also Tower Junkies, which is all about Stephen King and his magnum opus, the Dark Tower series. Again, find all that at uh, uh, obsessiveviewer.com slash podcast. And you can also donate through PayPal and uh, by clicking the donate button on anthologypod.com or visiting patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Every patron that um, subscribes to us on Patreon gets access to a special RSS feed that has um, kind of Patreon-exclusive commentary tracks that I record um, uh, kind of throughout, like at my leisure, essentially. I think this weekend I'm actually going to be recording a commentary track. I'm not sure what I'm going to do it on yet. Um, maybe a Pixar movie or... I don't know. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do like a, um, a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie or something from my childhood. I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. And, uh, next time on this bonus review series, which should, this should, this next episode should drop in a couple weeks or a couple days, um, at the most, but I'll be talking about Crocodile, um, uh, which I'm very excited to talk about that episode. So yeah, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time. We're doing our first American indie set in working-class East Coast America. Directed by Jodie Foster. I really believe in short story form. Some things have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and I feel like that's the voice that I'm the happiest with. Thank you for listening to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. 
For more of Anthology and a full archive of my episodes, go to anthologypod.com. And if you want to help support the show, the easiest way you can do that is by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. You can also make donations to the show courtesy of the donate link in the show notes of each episode and on anthologypod.com. For recurring donations, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and just choose one of the Anthology reward tiers. If you enjoy Anthology, feel free to check out The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast I host with my friend Tiny and occasional guest co-hosts over at ObsessiveViewer.com. You can also join The Obsessive Viewer Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. For book reviews and commentary on the world of reading, check out our sister site at ObsessiveBookNerd.com. And for philosophical discussions from a secular viewpoint, check out my friends Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Finally, if you'd like to contact me with your thoughts on the show, my reviews, my bonus reviews, or for any other reason, you can tweet me at ObsessiveViewer, send me an email at matt at ObsessiveViewer.com, or send me a message on Facebook and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.